Georgia Georgia Is where I call my home And I ain't been back No, I ain't been back And way too damn long But she takes me there God, I got her here. She's like God's hand painted, cotton field sunsets, dirt roads. Watermark Golf Media. In a world where talk is cheap, someone should be paying you to listen to this podcast. It's the Lip Outs Podcast with your host, golf course architect, author, and former looper for the llama, Nathan Crace. And now, from deep within the recesses of the basement beneath the studio at Watermark Golf Media, the man of the hour, the tower of power, too sweet to be sour, make you say, woo, like Jerry Clower. Ladies and gentlemen, Nathan Crace. Thank you. This is the Lip Outs Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Crace, along with my virtual co-host, Landon Petty. Hey, Landon. Hey, Nathan. How are you? Doing great. You're down there in our sunny south, well, not south, but the sunny Florida studio. How are things? Things are great. Uh, the sky is blue. The sun is shining. The wind's blowing. It feels like fall, and I've had no snakes in my backyard here in the Florida uh, office of Watermark Golf Media. So you're, are you actually in the office, or are you actually on the beach? Please don't say on the beach. I am not on the beach. No, okay, I, good. I, uh, I, I did that this weekend. Uh, <laughs> okay. So uh, I'm back, right. back, back in the house. Coming up in the podcast this episode, we've got a, a special guest, Lou Stagner. You probably know Lou from his Twitter, at Lou Stagner. He's also part of Decade Golf with Scott Fawcett, where they dig into the details and the minutiae and the numbers of all things golf. But before we get too far into the podcast i want to talk about the song that we had at the intro there at the front end i wanted to play that obviously the name of the song is georgia in tennessee and we're talking about the masters still this is our our post-mortem masters episode where we kind of take it apart and and look at some of the more interesting stories from the weekend but that song uh, was sung actually and i don't know if landon knows this by a young man named colt Barron. And Colt actually graduated high school with my daughter about five or six years ago. And after high school, moved to Nashville to start a country music career. So I wanted to give him a little plug. Uh, if you like country music, go check him out. It's Colt Barron. Uh, it's streaming on all the online streaming services. But go to iTunes and, and download the album and buy it and, and help support him. Uh, it's a great song. And I knew I heard him sing at a intermission at some function at school years ago when they were maybe juniors. And he played the guitar and sang. And I thought, wow, this kid's really really got some pipes and and he's got a lot of talent so even though his name sounds like a oklahoma state quarterback i guess we're a country music singer it can go either way but uh, go check that out colt baron okay all right landon obviously 
Dustin Johnson won the Masters. What did you think about that? Yeah, he just uh, he did what he's good at doing, which is just like he's swinging in the telephone booth. I know some people think that's a, a negative thing. The same motion keeps hitting fairways. I mean, the guy hit a bunch of greens, uh, made a bunch of putts. It, just an all-around good player. And what I envy about him is he appears to not let anything get to him, just move on, forgets his mistakes, and just concentrates on the next shot. So uh, I think it's pretty great that he, he ran away from the field. Um, I've been pretty upset, you know, uh, since he got that raw deal, or at least in my mind, the raw deal at Whistling. So I'm glad to see him add another major to his uh, to his repertoire. No, I agree 110% with that. And, you know, you're talking about uh, – is coming around and, and kind of running away with it. You know, they got a little sketchy there Sunday after the fifth hole. I think he was only up one. So, you know, there it got a little iffy, and that's people started thinking, hmm, maybe, you know, he's never won a major with a 54-hole lead. I think he's held the 54-hole lead or, or tied for the lead uh, four times, I think they said, and, and had yet to win one after holding a 54-hole lead. So really glad to see the way it turned out. And, of course, we'll have uh, Lou on later to actually dig into the stats, but a couple of things that I thought were inter- interesting. He now is tied for 26th all-time with 24 career wins with Gary Player. Not bad company. Obviously, a second career major after the uh, 2016 U.S. Open at Oakmont. But he also had the lowest score in Masters history, 268, 20 under par. That ties the lowest score relative to par in any major. And that's the largest margin of victory at the Masters since Tiger in 97. So do you look at it as DJ went out and did what everybody thought DeChambeau was going to do? I mean, obviously, that that didn't pan out, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. But he just kind of went and picked the course apart. Yeah, you know, just the 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 soft conditions, the the uh, the lack of wind. There's a lot of factors that played into uh, this golf course. That I'm sorry, this golf tournament. That really, I think, uh, because uh, he's long enough off the tee and he carries the ball far enough, where the distance really didn't really matter. The, the, the fact they weren't getting a lot of roll. So you know, he was able just to throw darts. I mean, the guy's a great wedge player. He's a great putter. He just. He just did what he uh, he knows how to do, and uh, it, it's fun to watch when everything's firing on all four cylinders, or maybe six cylinders, or maybe Dustin Johnson's an eight cylinder. <laughs> maybe I'm not sure. Maybe so. You know, one yeah, of the, one of the but, things uh, that I love about watching him play, though, he could be ten over par or ten under par, and you don't you could never tell. I mean, he just he walks down the fairway with the exact same posture. You cannot tell the difference. But one thing I think that has really set him apart in recent years is his putting. His putting is is become phenomenal here in the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, it, it really, it, it's been fun to watch. Uh, and that's something else I'm looking forward to the second segment to find out about the putting. I, I'm curious as to some of the some of the statistics because, boy, the greens looked a little bit slower to me than they have in the past. And and you didn't seem to see a lot of, you know, big, nasty runaway putts like you, you're, you know, typical with the Masters. So he just he's just unflappable. You can't tell if he's in a good mood or a bad mood, uh, you know, so. Well, speaking speaking of unflappable, we'll move on to the next topic, Tiger Woods. I mean, came out of the gate hot, 68. I think it's the first time he's ever shot below 70 in the first round of the Masters. Uh, but he stumbled a little bit on Sunday, as you know. He made a 10 on yeah. number 12. And that you know that was the whole last year that kind of went the other way. You know, Everybody was, was putting it in Rays Creek last year, and he managed to get through there and, and of course, go on to win his fifth green jacket. But, I so, mean, it post, was almost uh, painful to watch. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, and 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 I saw his post uh, post round interview, and he mentioned that he that he misread or misplayed the wind, 
And I, I thought that was kind of fascinating. Uh, but, you know, the wind can get a little tricky down there in that oh, yeah. uh, amen corner in that hollow back there. And, you know, he really I was surprised. I mean, some of the statistics I read were that he's I think he's only taken greater than double bogey two or three times. So this was a complete anomaly. But then to finish the way he did with, you know, four out of the last five holes, make it birdie. That's that's oh. that's pretty amazing. Uh, you know, that's Tiger. That's what he does. He shoots 37 on the front. Then he bogeys 10, and then, of course, the 10 on 12. And then he not only does he birdie five of the last six finishing holes, he birdies 15, 16, 17, and 18. And then you look back, and you know when Dustin came along through there, Dustin did not go for the green on, on 13 or 15. And I think you know there was mud on the ball, and it was little. But he laid up both times and, and played it as a three-shotter, which I don't think anybody – Thought that would have happened. But uh, again, yeah, Tiger just, I mean, what do you say? It's just a steel trap. You know, I, it just turns around. I mean, who yeah. else Who else could do that I, I, in, in today's I modern believe, game? I couldn't believe the statistic that showed that, that, that in all five of his Masters champions, he shot 70 in the first round. Yeah. Some of those, uh, that, that, that kind of caught me off guard. But, uh, and I, you hate to see anybody make a 10, you know, like that. But, somewhere deep down in the really, really evil part of your soul, you know, amateur golfers, we, we go through that, we experience it and right. seeing these guys appear to be human every once in a while is kind of a good feeling. So, uh, yeah, I think it makes kind you of sadistic and I'm not a tiger hater by any means, but, uh, no, it's a little, there's, was, uh, it was a little bit, there's a little schadenfreude there, I think, um, you know, and, and, and not, not necessarily in a bad way, but you know, of course I, I thought it was funny I, somewhere Tom Weisskopf was watching going, Oh, come on, just three more. Just three more, because you know he made a thirteen there uh, years ago on, on the twelfth hole. So, and of course that's not his claim to fame, but that statistic that stands out. Uh, speaking of statistics, Cameron Smith, the young Australian, is his, he was the first player. And uh, again, this is another statistic. And remind me, we'll ask Lou about this in the second half of the podcast. But he's the first player in Masters history to shoot four rounds in the sixties. How is that possible? I cannot believe that. Television. I was thinking to myself. Clearly, that is not possible. You know, I mean, that, it, that's a lot of information to take in because uh, I just can't believe that somebody hasn't done that in the past. Um, there's been a lot of rounds played, a lot of massive. Well, this was the 84th. So you think about that. That's a lot of people uh, playing, you know, four full rounds and good golf. Right, right, not Masters, right. So. It's not the club championship. I mean, th- these are the best of the best at the time. It just that, that statistic, I think, may may have surprised me more than anything else that I heard. And and you know, he's not. He seems young, but he's not that. I mean, he's young, but he's not that young. He's twenty seven years he's old. Twenty seven. Right. Twenty seven. Yeah, that's what I found. But can you imagine? I mean, think about that. You you hold the record for all four rounds in the sixties at Augusta. And you lose the Masters by five shots. I mean, that's a little. That's got to sting a little. You know, oh. that's got to sting a little bit. I mean, come on. Two guys shoot fifteen under par and lose by five shots. And, and I'm sitting here. I'm looking right. at the the ages of the top ten. Uh, the, all the players that tied in the top ten, and the average age is at a twenty eight. If you throw out Webb Simpson, who's thirty five years old, and you know Dustin Johnson's thirty six, so you know Song J M is twenty two. I mean, good Lord. I, when I was 22, I was just trying to get out of college. Right. And, uh, you know, j- just backtrack a minute. I think it was a pretty significant thing who Dustin Johnson was playing with and who was really on his heels, you know, in this tournament. I mean, it, I, I personally think it helped him a lot not having a couple of seasoned veteran hammers just at perspective. But those two guys finishing tied for second is something I don't think anybody 
especially anybody that put a, a nickel bet on the whole deal would have uh, would have picked them to you know finish second. Right. No, absolutely. Did you happen to catch the uh, post-round interview with Dustin Johnson and Amanda Balionis? You saw him get choked up a little bit talking about his brother caddying with him. You know, th- those are the types of things that really help endear a player to the public. Uh, because I think DJ has kind of been seen as a little standoffish just because he's so quiet and just kind of matter of fact and kind of goes through his business with well, yeah, no, no, without I, a lot of flash. Not not unlike a Nick Faldo back in the day, or maybe even a Ben Hogan, where they were very quiet. They were just playing, they doing their thing, going out on the golf course, playing their game. And I think for a lot of fans, maybe that can can be oh, he's kind of a snob, and or he's just not you know he doesn't like being around people. But I think that interview really helped to you know kind of humanize him. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree because that's the first time you've ever seen a lot of real emotion from him. The Masters is what every well, I, I, I'm going to venture to say what a vast majority of golfers that's what they want. They want that green jacket, you know that they want to get into that club. And so, uh, what a what a big thing for him and to to show his. I think he picked the right time to really show his emotions. <laughs> right, right. No, well, he grew up 75 miles from there. I mean, I grew up in Indiana, and I I can remember being a kid and we'd sit out there on the putting green late in the you know afternoon. It was just almost dark, and you're like, all right, this this putts to win the masters, you know, and you're sitting there kind of pretending that you're hitting a putt to win the masters. And I think everybody's been there, but I thought it was kind of ironic, you know, in, in my mind, you know, the golfing gods are like, congratulations, you've worked so hard and, and now you finally won. Oh, by the way, you only get the title for five months because of the pandemic. And, uh, I thought, hey, well, how, how cruel is that? <laughs> so, um, well, I think anybody would make that trade any day. You know, I know I would. Oh, I'd but, take it uh, for five days, you know, if, if I had to, but, um, although, you know, there's, he's probably the odds on favorite of defending and, and, uh, speaking of people defending and two time champions anyway, Bernhard Longer. 63 years old, although he doesn't look it. I mean, just oldest to make the cut at 63 years, two months and 18 days. He just he just clipped Tommy Aaron, who in 2000 made the cut at 63 years, one month and 16 days. Although Aaron finished 57th, longer finished tied for 29th, I believe it was. Uh, you know who's third on that list of the oldest to make the cut? Yeah, setting you up, Gary Player. Uh, it, and that ah, was okay. that was in 1998. That wasn't all that long ago. He was 62 years, five months, and nine days, and finished tied for 46th place. But speaking of longer, you know, we everybody was talking about Bryson DeChambeau, and we'll get into that some with Lou in the second half talking about statistics. But longer on Sunday was playing with DeChambeau. Longer averaged. 250 yards off the tee to Bryson's 315, and Bernhardt beat him by a stroke for the week. Well, it's it's almost it's incredible. Like you want to take that example. You want to take that example and tell every every young golfer that's trying to hit it a mile and and say, look at this. All right, look at all the parts of the game that have to be working. You got to be good everywhere and sound. You know, so that that's a really really interesting scenario that played itself out that I don't think anybody you know could have imagined was coming. Uh, par- partially because I don't think anybody imagined DeChambeau would would put on the performance that he did. Um, but watching Bernhard longer, I mean, he, he's dominated the senior tour for a lot of years. And I mean, he was a great player, you know, in his time on the PGA tour. So it's not surprising, but it, I think it's really cool to see guys. They really love going back there. And that light is something that, uh, is so valuable to them. And, uh, it's neat to see guys take advantage of that. Uh, I wonder why some of them don't. And you also see some guys that, um, 
you know, it, it's a really gracious thing when they determine, all right, I'm taking the place of some kid that could actually contend and I'm just out here scraping it around. So they gracefully, you know, ride off into the sunset. And I think right. that's a really cool thing that, you know, you don't see a lot. No. And, and Bernhard Longer at 63, looks like he's 43. I mean, you know, he's just rock solid from tee to green. Hey, and, I was thinking and that just, too. I'm thinking, what does this guy do every day to look like that? It's, it's, it's absolutely incredible. I, I don't know that anybody else on the, on the champions tour is like that, but early, uh, early Christmas present for Bernhard and speaking a Christmas presents. Let me mention real quick. I do a live read here for yournameofcourse.com. That's yournameofcourse.com. A special uh, gift for the golfer in your life. We take their name and we turn it into a golf course and make it look like a routing, a blueprint from the golden age of golf course architecture. And right now there is a special. If you go to my Twitter account at Lipouts, I will also post it at the uh, Lipouts podcast Twitter feed at Lipouts podcast. I think we had four opportunities up for grabs and there's uh, one of them has been taken but if you order now if you're one of the next three to order you get some free uh, swag to go with it so that's some some gear from halfpaintgunwilltravel.com and there may or may not be a, a signed copy of my book Vincent Fino in there as well uh, again I think there are three more packages left to go and, and that's only because it takes some time to get these put together, get them drawn up, produced, and, and shipped out in time for Christmas. So we want to make sure everybody gets them in time for Christmas. But check that out on the uh, Twitter feed for the Lipouts Podcast at Lipouts Podcast. That's some impressive, shameless self promotion. I got to be you. perfectly honest with you. Thank I feel, you. I feel good about. I feel good about uh, being friends with you all these years. You, uh, you somehow don't make it sound cheesy, but uh, I appreciate that. Well, you know these these bills don't pay themselves, um, and. And, and the podcast. Well, that's right. That's right. And, I, and you know, look, Vincent, Vincent Vino is something, it's not, you know, there's no golf necessarily. There's a little golf in it, but there's not a lot of, you know, golf. It's not a golf book, but it's, 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 right. a, it's a good read. Um, you know, no, I have it, a lot of fun with it. So it, it's fun for the whole family, even if you don't play. <laughs> well, well, maybe not for the whole family, but it is, a, I think it is a pretty good thriller. Um, you know, like I said, we've got to pay bandwidth for the podcast we've got to pay some other things so it takes a while to build up the uh, commercial side of, of any podcast if you ever get there at all uh so from bernhard longer from the oldest in the field to the youngest in the field i want to talk a few minutes about andy ogletree you know this kid's from mississippi right outside of meridian mississippi he won the 2019 u.s amateur last year ironically beat uh bj trolio's son from old waverly those were the two in the final of the 2019 USAM, both from – actually, that may not be correct. They may have been in the quarterfinals. I have to go back and think about that. Yeah. I think they were both in the quarterfinals. But you had – Right, uh, because uh, I remember. Yeah, I saw I, I, my crack um, research staff dropped the ball, that staff being me. But the uh, – so they were both – you had two kids from Mississippi in the quarterfinals. And, of course, you know, Andy Ogletree wins – gets a free spot in the Masters, gets to play the first two rounds with Tiger, and I think was actually paired with him in the third round as well, shoots two under for the tournament. If I'm not mistaken, actually beats Tiger by one, but uh, and he tied DeChambeau. And clips Tiger by one. That's, clipped know. Tiger by one shot. And you know, one of, the, one of the coolest stories that I heard was he said he was walking out to the, uh, out to the first tee on Thursday, and Tiger came up, put his arm around him, said, let's go do this. And he said just completely kind of melted away all this not fear, but a little apprehension that you normally would have. You know, you're playing with Tiger Woods and and uh, defending yeah, Masters champion at the up, at Augusta. Yeah, he grew up, you know, watching Tiger and kind of idolizing Tiger in his game. That's what that was his dream. 
was to play with Tiger Woods. To go out there and play with him and then beat him. I mean, that's that's got to be something. And and he's got a really good swing. And to go out there, he started, you know, he, made, he was four over after four holes. And then he kind of righted the ship. And it was a really had to be just a once-in-a-lifetime experience for him. And uh, I think he's got a bright future ahead. A lot of these good players like that. I mean, the fact that he's from Mississippi is also pretty cool. You know, I grew up in Louisiana. It was interesting to find out that he has played Augusta National a lot. Apparently, the Georgia Tech golf team, because of the Bobby Jones connection, I'm guessing, uh, ha- ha- gets to play out there quite right. often. So yeah. that, that had to be a little bit of an advantage to him. Sure. No, absolutely. I mean, he did go out of state to to college, but we'll, we'll let him slide on that one. (laughs) He did say that he's, I think he said he was going pro next year. So we'll be seeing a lot more of Andy Ogletree in the future, I would imagine. So let's just kind of wrap things up here. We'll put a little bow on it before we get to the second half with Lou Stagner. DJ finally gets his first green jacket. You know, there are people out there saying, oh, he could win 10 or 12. And you know, that, let's let's let him enjoy his second major first. You know, there's a lot of competition and, and maybe five, you know, I, I could see that. But when people start talking about eight or nine or 10, that's a lot of majors. And there are, that's very, very rarefied air. He's 36 years old now. Let's, you know, just relax. Let's let him enjoy, enjoy what he's done so far. And, but I, I do, I, I would not be surprised at all if he contends when he comes back in April. And I think we have a lot to look forward to from a lot of the youth uh, that we saw on the field over the weekend, as well as, you know, what will happen with Bryson DeChambeau. I think he was mentioning that he was having a little dizziness and that was affecting his play. But, you know, length, maybe not the the determining factor every time, especially when the greens are like they are at the Masters. We'll get into that with Lou in the second half and, and how important length is off the tee. But uh, what closing thoughts do you have? So interestingly enough, I, I watched Bryson DeChambeau swing or, or, or practice swing, watching it with my son. And, and he looks at me with this face and he says, why is he swinging so hard? And he said he cannot you know, be into. And I said, oh, yeah, that's what he's trying to do. And it looks like what you would tell every student is not to swing for the fences like that. Uh, but it, it, it looks so awkward. He looks like a bodybuilder that's getting ready to throw like a 30 pound dumbbell over a <laughs> fence or something. So, you know, I, it really um, it, it show it goes to show you, though, that length isn't always, uh, you know, the biggest advantage. It, it can be. But uh, I, I think he set himself up early for failure um, with. Uh, with the you know par is 67 is my par at augusta right or par for me however he said it i mean you just yeah his his par at augusta was 67 which is 510 20 so he uh, was 18 over par then he was 18 yeah. over his part yeah so you know so he he may have been humbled a little bit i don't know about the dizziness um i don't know if that's uh a little cover in his tracks but either way um you know, I, I don't see him going away, nor his uh, methodology toward the game, that big, big, hard swing. And, and uh, so but I, I think it was interesting. He may have learned some lessons this week about uh, DJ. He's uh, he, he has the potential to win that tournament again. I think we're going to see a really different tournament in April. Um, I, I think, you know, this one was unique for a lot of reasons, but ultimately it was not the same you know, with balls sticking on the greens and uh, the number of balls that hung up on 15 and didn't roll back in the water just blew my mind, you know. So right. um, he, he can certainly he can certainly win more. But uh, the competition is so much stronger these days. The, there's so many people and that's evident second place. I mean, two guys that I don't think anybody knew who they were 
you know, and, and here they are, you know, 15 under lose by five shots, but are tied for second. And they looked like they looked amazing. Both got great swings. And even Dottie Pepper said on, uh, on Sung Jay, he said, that's got to get boring. Right. And I was thinking right. the same I heard thing. her say that. I'd like to be bored like that, but uh, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> no kidding. But it was a fun deal. It was a little weird with no crowds. I don't really know how I feel about it. I don't know if it was better. Uh, I, I think the crowds add a, how the players react. Uh, some of the things we talked about last week with the, the sounds echoing through the, the trees right. and the hollows and all. Right. It was it was kind of interesting, um, but fun. Fun nonetheless. Very different. Um, I thought it was different uh, and interesting that they put the pins in different places at different times. That was a change. Um, so um, interesting event. Uh, I'll be very curious to see how it all unfolds. Hopefully we move past a lot of the issues we've been having um, in our country and a full field and a full group of patrons out there in April uh, next year. And, and we'll have we'll have the Masters back in, in true form and fashion. Well, it, it would be great. And I know that the community uh, of Augusta really took a hit financially from, from not having the galleries and all that. So let's hope in April things are back to normal, so they can at least normal enough that they can have galleries out there again. So I think... Uh, I think we did a pretty fair job of dissecting the uh, the Masters over the weekend. So we'll get into it a little bit more in the second half with Lou Stagner as he yeah. takes a deep dive into the numbers. So take a little break, and we'll have Lou Stagner when we come back after this. In 2013, the U.S. government began shutting down programs to cut costs. But closing one secret Department of Defense program in America's biggest city set loose one of America's darkest secrets. Now, the CIA, DOD, and foreign agents are scouring New York City, racing against each other to find one man who could have all the answers, 60 years after his death. Vincent Vino, a thriller by Nathan Grace. Available now in print and ebook from Moonbay Media. Well, we're real excited about the second half of the show. As you know, this is our Masters post-mortem episode of the podcast where we dig into the numbers, and there's no better person to help us dig into the numbers than Lou Stagner. For those of you who don't know, he's part of Decade Golf with Scott Fawcett. Many of you probably follow him on Twitter, at Lou Stagner. So welcome to the podcast. Hey, Lou, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on today, guys. So what a great Masters. Yeah, always entertaining. It's my favorite event of the year, and it... uh it never disappoints. Well, Landon and I were digging into some of the numbers in the first half of the show. And by the way, Landon, Lou, Lou Landon. Nice to meet you, Lou. You as well, Landon. And we wanted to uh, bring you on board. I know you have a heart out, but we wanted to bring you on board to talk about some of the numbers that might shed some light on a few things and dig a little deeper than we can do. So uh, let's just go ahead and jump right off into that. You know, one of the things that everybody talked about leading up into the Masters was DeChambeau. DeChambeau, DeChambeau, DeChambeau. He's killing the ball. He's hitting it 
400 yards on the fly. Uh, he's absolutely going to destroy Augusta National. Obviously, that didn't pan out. Uh, he did have some big numbers on the scorecard, which, of course, hurt his chances. But how do you think his stats compared to Dustin Johnson, who was the eventual winner, obviously, and is not exactly short off the tee? Yeah, that's a, a good question. Um, yeah, certainly Bryson was uh, was the favorite going in, uh, and I don't know if it was uh, partially because he's been playing well this year, um, playing very well this year, uh, was the previous major champion, and and he just has a lot of attention on him, you know, given what he's doing, what he's up to, how that's being publicized. Uh, I think it's a uh, a very uh, polarizing topic. Uh, which I think only helps to bring more attention to it. But it just goes to show you that um, even with all the length, you uh, you, know, you, you need to bring your entire game. Uh, he, he did hit it surprisingly well off the tee, and, and I was a little surprised by this. I haven't run the strokes gain numbers with the Masters. You, you don't get that out of the gate. You have to do the calcs themselves. But uh, Justin Ray, who I'm sure – most of your listeners know who that is. He put them out either last night or this morning. And Bryson led the field and strokes gained off the tee, which I was I was kind of surprised by, given the spots that he hit some of his drives and that lost ball on on three. Um, so I thought that was uh, that was interesting. Um, boy, if he was hitting the driver better, um, I can't imagine what those strokes gained off the tee numbers would have been. But um, you know. Uh, uh, DJ hit it, hit it great. And he hit 60 greens, which going back to 1996, which is f- as far back as I have hole by hole information, uh, that's that ties, t- ties tiger for all time in 2001. So I think that was a big reason why DJ ended up, uh, doing as well as he did. He just put it on a lot of greens and, and didn't get himself into too much trouble. And, and Bryson made some big numbers. He made some mistakes. He compounded those mistakes. Um, I think some of his decisions that he made, um, when, especially when he was trying to punch out in certain situations, and he just dug himself a deeper hole. And, and I, the lesson there, I think, for listeners is once you get yourself in trouble, you know, hitting the hero shot is it's, it's generally not the best idea. You want to get yourself back in play. Take your medicine. Take your bogey. Uh, you've probably heard this before, but anytime you get into – a recovery situation as a professional uh, between 100 100 yards and 180 yards from the hole if you're in a recovery situation where you're in the trees you don't really have a shot to the green about 3.8 for a pro so for people like us that are certainly not playing at that level once you get in the trees come out sideways take your medicine try to make your bogey and, and move on so i had no idea the stroke number was that high for a professional because to me it, it, it might be average double that for, for an amateur golfer. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, that ought to be one of the first things that a golf coach or teacher, you know, pounds in your head when he's talking about game management. That, that's, that's, a, that's a surprising number to me. Yeah, it, um, and, and keep in mind, that's for the best players in the world. So it, uh, for, for us, it's certainly going to be high. Do they happen occasionally? Sure. But it's, uh, it's definitely very tough. Well, you, you mentioned the third hole, and I saw something you posted on Twitter during the tournament uh, about players who were kind of laying up off the tee versus those hitting driver and trying to get down in front of the green or, or even on the green or down, you know, down around the green. thought you might go over those statistics a little bit and, and how that was to uh, work its way out through the, through the entire four rounds, hitting driver off the tee on three sure. versus yeah, laying up. The third, right, yeah, third hole, it, you know, generally there's a lot of room down there in the third hole. 
Uh, and in hitting driver off the tee, advancing it as far as you can is is the best course of action. So across all rounds for players that that left themselves left less than 60 yards, they averaged 3.82 off the tee. For players that left themselves between 60 and 99 yards, they averaged 4.01. They averaged 4.09. So those numbers, again, were 3.82, 4.01, and 4.09. And when you look on a round-by-round -round basis, the players that left themselves the shortest shots in every single round, they scored the best in that particular round. So being closer to the hole is, is, is a good idea. It's always an advantage to be closer. So when you're playing golf, a good rule of thumb is advance the ball as far as you can, as often as you can, taking into account trouble. And on the third hole, there's not too much trouble to be found. But other than that, you want to get it as close as you can. And I think sometimes there's the, uh, you know, there's the expectation that we put on ourselves. If, if we, when we find ourselves in a, you know, a 30, 40, 50 yard length to the hole situation, and it's maybe a, a tough pin or a tight pin, and, and we hit it to 13 or 14 or 15 feet, we feel like we should hit that a lot closer and it doesn't feel great to us. Um, but the reality is, is that, you know, if you drop the ball 40 yards from the hole, uh, even to a tough pin, you're going to get, a, you're going to end way back to your full wedge yardage of, of, let's say 110 or whatever that number might be. So, you know, being closer is, is always better. And, you know, kind of in relation to your first question around Bryson, DJ and, and length, um, if you look at the scoring average for all competitors last week, the longest players um, had the best scoring average. So when you look at all players, the, the longest 25% in the field uh, last week, their scoring average was 71.1. The middle 50% was 71.7, which was 72.7. So length is always an advantage. And I, I kind of bring that up kind of in relation to the third hole and also you know, just to kind of talk a little bit about uh, you know, the comparisons between uh, Langer and DeChambeau this week, who happened to be playing together yesterday. And Langer was the shortest in the field. Bryson was the longest in the field. And but but Langer beat him. Um, yeah, that that that's going to happen. You know, 95 or it's going to happen five out of 100 times. And, and Bryson's going to win 95 out of 100, maybe more. Um, Langer played incredible. It was really fun to watch. Overall, length is an advantage, not just on the third hole, but across the entire golf course. Lou, is that something that you've seen in years past as a pretty, pretty solid standard? Or is that something that was fairly unique to this year and the conditions that they were playing under? Uh, yeah, it was the same last year. The third hole was um, was the scoring average in the third hole was was better for players that um, hit the ball further down, you know, decided to hit driver and advance the ball as far as they could, as opposed to laying up. So yeah, that's on the masters prior to that on whole level detail. So I, I, I don't know prior to that. You know, you mentioned that DJ was 60 out of 72 in greens and regulation. And a lot of the players mentioned that the conditions were a little soft. They were, you know, they had the rain obviously Thursday morning and that seemed to to affect play throughout all four rounds. Do you think that played a big part in the uh, greens and regulation being higher? Oh yeah, for sure. Anytime, anytime you get these guys on a soft golf course with minimal wind, they're, you know, they're going to tear it up. It, it doesn't matter where it is or what it is. They're going to, they're going to play well. And 65.9% uh, greens and regulation. 
And since 1996, that's second. Um, 2001 was first. They had 66.1% of the greens for the entire field in 2001. And I have to imagine that was pre-lengthening the golf course. And that was, uh, I believe the Pro V1 was going to be in play for the 2001 Masters. I think it was anyway. Uh, so I have to think that, uh, you know, the field overnight was 15 yards longer, 10, 15 yards longer than they were in 2000. And the golf course is the same. So I'm sure that contributed. But, yeah, certainly a lot of greens hit this year. And, and I think it's uh, so much of that is um, because of the conditions that they were playing in all week. And and I, if I'm not mistaken, 2000 and 2001 was about the time that Augusta National started growing in the second cut. I uh, remember, it seems like I remember Tiger in a press conference after his historic 97 victory mentioning that, you know, wow, Augusta is kind of like a driving range. You just go out there and hit it. I don't remember the exact when they put the second cut in there. Um, I don't remember the exact year on that. It was certainly sometime after 97 Tiger, but um, I, I don't know. Nathan, yeah. if you remember the year. No, I, I, not off the top of my head, but I do know, you know, that was about the same time they were planting trees everywhere. I mean, if you walk down 11 now, it looks like a bowling alley from the back <laughs> tee, and 20 years ago it didn't look like that. But, you know, I, I think all those things obviously – play a part of it but just through the weekend i was watching them hit shots at some pins that in years past they wouldn't be hitting it you know they kind of hit it and let it run back or kind of feed back and of course 16 on sunday if you if you caught that the pin was back right instead of down in the in the funnel and they were even there were a few shots that were a little above the hole even there which i think normally on dry conditions and in april that uh, without the rain i don't think that you would have seen players trying to hit it up into that area with that pin Never seen as many uh, pitch marks when when approach shots come into the green as as we did watching this this tournament. Uh, I think I don't think I've ever seen that. Very few balls releasing. So the greens were decidedly softer than I even thought they would be. Uh, so I think that made a huge difference. Oh yeah, absolutely huge difference. Soft conditions, minimal winds. Um, they can just throw darts. The ball doesn't go anywhere. So they're, they're going to tear it up with those kind of conditions. And, and they did. Um, I started posting forecast was starting to be a little bit more reliable um, that uh, the, our score is going to be really low on Thursday and Friday. Uh, at the time, the wind was supposed to be less than five miles per hour on Thursday and Friday. The rain was going to come through, but um, they were saying the rain was going to kind of clear up. And, and my thought was, if they can get in some some rain-free time out on the golf course with with no wind and soft conditions, they are going to tear it up. And, and some, you know, records might fall as far as you know number of players under par, et cetera. And and um, that certainly was the case. It shows you you know some of the some of the differences that uh, conditions, especially uh, wind and softness, make. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Nick Faldo mentioned that uh, he was anxious to see you know, what those guys were going to do in April when when they're playing a rock-hard golf course. You know, some of these guys that have never played it before, this was their first time. So I think that'll be really interesting uh, in a few months to see. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It was kind of uh, cool to see, um, you know, Augusta in a, a different way than we normally see it. And from my rookie understanding, the, you know, the overseed just didn't have as much time to grow in and 
and it's just a different time of the year for the for the grass to grow and how it reacts. So it was uh, it was kind of cool to to see it a, a little different way than we normally do. We had uh, Billy Fuller on the last episode, and of course Billy was the golf course superintendent at Augusta from '81 to '86, and those were some of the things we were talking about. Was you know how is the golf, is the course going to be different? How is it going to play different uh, between April and November? And he mentioned if they don't get any rain, it might not be a lot different. If they get some rain, it's going to soften it up a lot. And we talked about the Bermuda still being being under there and the, the uh, overseed not having time to really mature. And you could see it on TV. And, uh, you know, maybe one of the uh, benefits of that is that you'll have a lot of greens committees and course owners who saw that and maybe won't be as demanding after this Masters with their golf course superintendent to uh, try and replicate <laughs> Augusta National at their golf not, course. Not a chance. That's a, that's a, pipe, that's a pipe dream. Green committee members lay awake at night thinking about how to torture. Yeah, I've been around that long enough to see it. Uh, well, we can dream. Is, why don't you guys just lower the blade, lower the mower, lower the blade a little bit. You know, get these greens a little bit faster. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's a pipe dream, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lou's got a heart out, and he, he has to uh, get back to his uh, real job and not sit in on our podcast. But, Lou, I do appreciate you being able to carve out 15, 20 minutes from your busy schedule to uh, sit with us this morning and kind of pick apart sure, the numbers yeah, from know, the I Masters. Know a couple other things, uh, sure, I know there was a couple other things you wanted to get to, and, and we can we can touch on those. So, you know, the doubles are worse. Um, we we sure. can talk through that if you like. Yeah, if you've got the time, sure. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you, you were, you know, pre- Pre-recording, you were asking me about doubles or worse, and, and it seemed like there was more this year. Um, and, you know, that's it's really interesting because it's the best year um, since 1996. There were only 88 doubles or worse this year, and that's the lowest total um, since in 2019. We had there was 88 this year. Last year, we had 97 and in 2002, there's 104. So we were less this year wow. than any year since 1996. And I think the thing that's interesting there is there was a lot of high publicity, big numbers this year, right? We saw it on TV. Um, uh, we were focused on it based on who some of the players were. And, I, and that really impacts our perceptions of what is going on. And I think what that relates to is you know, us as, as we, when we're watching golf every weekend, we're watching the, not only the best players in the world, but we are watching of the best players in the world, the players that are playing the best. And so we see just super high quality golf every weekend. And that really puts our expectations uh, way out of whack. And, you know, the one we always talk about is how close they're hitting their wedges. And, and we seem to think that, a tour player from 100 yards in the fairway is hitting everything inside of eight feet uh, with a wedge in their hand, and that's reality. And, and so, you know, what we see on TV um, dramatically impacts our perceptions of what the reality is. And and I think what we saw on TV this week with some of the high-profile big numbers impacted our perceptions of of you know what was really going on this week. So, I think those big numbers too they kind of constituted the bulk of the relative excitement, you know, on the tournament, because it was, it was, you know, you didn't have a lot of um, catastrophes across the board. You know, I, I marveled at how many balls hung up on 15 and didn't roll back in the water, which in right. so, right. Um, and, and, you know, on top of that, the, the softness of the greens, they didn't seem as, as quite as slick as they always are. And so you didn't have as many three or four putts to some of those difficult, I, I noticed a lot of people 
two putting from what used to be automatic three putt territory on some of those 14, 17, some of those really difficult scenario five, for example, you know, so that's, that, that makes sense to me based on, you know, the overall scenario, but it is interesting that it's the lowest number in that many years. Yeah. And your, your point on three putts is spot on. It was the third lowest number. Of, there were 225 in total this year. And, and 2019 was the record with 215 and there were 216 in 2002. And then this year there were 225. So three putts uh, or worse were, were certainly way down. And, you know, we all we all assume that we're these, uh, you know, masters when it comes to knowing, you know, how a green works in terms of the, um, the stamp meter and the speed and things like that. And, of course, we'll never get this number, but I would love to know what it told at this uh, this weekend because it was obviously slower. Um, but I think it'd be fascinating to find out exactly how much the difference was. Yeah, that would, that would be interesting to know and, and, and understand what it is. And I'd be curious to know if it's the same on every green as well. Um, boy, some of those greens are have a lot more slope than others. So I, can they can they all run 13 on the stamp? I mean, some of those greens seem like they'd be unplayable at 13. Yeah, and the shade this time of year has got to affect the growth like that. Um, that made a difference, but... That's interesting. Well, again, Lou, we really do appreciate you carving the time out to uh, be with us here and kind of pick things apart uh, in our Masters postmortem episode of the Lip Outs podcast. Uh, We'd love to have you back again sometime and and when we have a little more time to dig into some numbers on some other things because there really is some fascinating information if you go to Lou's Twitter feed. Again, that's at Lou Stagner. And then also Decade Golf, uh, where he and Scott Fawcett put together a lot of interesting statistics and numbers and and dig inside of things that other people don't do. So uh, we do appreciate you, again, taking the time to be with us. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on, and I, I definitely look forward to doing it again. Thanks a lot, Lou. For Lou Stagner and Landon Petty, I am Nathan Crace saying thank you for joining us. Of course, you can find out information on anything we discussed in this episode on the website at lipoutspodcast.com, as well as on our Twitter feed at lipoutspodcast. Podcast is now available on all major platforms, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Give us a nice five-star rating. Tell all your friends and family and everyone you play golf with to help spread the love. And we'll see you back here next time when we tee it up on the Lipouts Podcast. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Watermark Golf Media. All rights reserved.